This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Some weeks are just more like a slow-moving train wreck than others, and this feels like one of those weeks. After the Democrats' historic win during the midterms, you'd sort of expect things to change. But then everything stayed the same. Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell both kept their leadership positions in the House and the Senate. And the worst president in American history, Donald J. Trump, has announced that he's running for a third time. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. But wait, to be fair, one important thing has changed. It's not just MAGA anymore, it's MAGAGA, which sounds like a cat coughing up a hairball but means make America great and glorious again. Step right up and buy my brand new Magaga hats. They're all the rage and an array of colors. Now I'm just kidding. Our hats are all red and that's all white with us. Bada boom. I am running because I believe the world has not yet seen the true glory of what this nation can be. We have not reached that pinnacle, believe it or not. In fact, we can go very far we're going to have to go far. First, we have to get out of this ditch. And once we're out, you'll see things that nobody imagined for any country. I'm sorry to say that our long national nightmare isn't over yet. He said if Biden won, we'd never see him again. But guess what? He lied. Like he lies about every fucking thing in the world. It's universally known that everything Trump touches turns to shit. And yet... He's trying to get his hands on the levers of power again, and seemingly no one can stop him. Because that's democracy, folks. Anyone, and I mean anyone, can run for president. The only limitations are you must be a U.S. citizen and at least 35 years of age. It's really hard to disqualify someone from running for president, even a convicted criminal. Even Donald Trump. The raid of Mar-a-Lago, think of it. And I say, why didn't you raid Bush's place? Why didn't you raid Clinton? 32,000 emails. Why didn't you raid Clinton's place? Why didn't you do Obama, who took a lot of things with him? Only in America can you run for president a couple of weeks after pleading the fifth 440 times during a single deposition for financial fraud and then blow off a congressional subpoena investigating your attempt to overthrow the government. Plot a coup, fail, and then run for president. Only in America can you be under an active investigation for espionage and still run for the presidency. The big lie? No big deal, you can still run. How about tampering with an election? That's definitely got to keep you from running. Nope. As impossible as it seems, there's nothing stopping Donald Trump from running for the presidency. Now at the center of multiple investigations, Mr. Trump said a weaponized justice system is the greatest threat to the U.S. We must conduct a top-to-bottom overhaul to clean out the festering rot and corruption of Washington, D.C. Wednesday morning, an NPR headline set the world on fire, and I quote, breaking. Donald Trump, who tried to overthrow the results of the 2020 presidential election and inspired a deadly riot at the Capitol in a desperate attempt to keep himself in power, has filed to run for president again in 2024. 
This headline had Twitter trending with defund NPR for about five minutes. But it quickly faded because everyone knows it's true. And it hasn't been a joyride for our great first lady either. I go home and she says, you look angry and upset. I say, just leave me alone. I got <laughs> Hasn't been the easiest thing. In fact, my one boy, stand up, Eric. I think he got more subpoenas than any man in the history of our country. So unfair. Al Capone, you all heard of the great gangster. Al Capone got far less. Billy the Kid got almost done. Jesse James, no. Eric Trump got more subpoenas. He's, he's a PhD in subpoenas. So yes, we know all the shit that this fucker has done. But I'm here to tell you, he's not really running for president. He's running for the money and the power and to keep his diapered ass out of jail. But he's not running for the presidency because he loves America and wants to serve the country. No, fuck no. He just wants to serve himself like a fucking fat kid at a buffet. He's just gonna eat as much of America as he possibly can before we take it all away. Another bid for the White House from his exile at Mar-a-Lago last night. It was largely the same old nonsense, the same shtick, not a lot of new material. Rigged election, fake news, making America great again. But the hour-long speech was whew, a brutal slog. I mean, really, like really low energy. So much so that even Fox News at one point got bored and cut away for more than 10 minutes. It's very, very much hurting our country. Germany tried it, you know, Germany tried it. They were up for about a year. Remember I sent to Angela? Remember Angela? Do you remember Angela? Nobody's remembering her now. Angela right, Merkel, just joining us, here. President Trump in Mar-a-Lago announcing his 2024 presidential run. But this week, it all got a little personal when in a single day, Trump managed to get two lawsuits against him thrown out. First was his niece, Mary Trump, who lost her bid for fair compensation after being defrauded out of millions in a Trump family settlement. If elected, Trump would tie Joe Biden as the oldest president to take office. His cholesterol levels are unknown, but his favorite food is a charred steak with ketchup. He has stated that his qualifications for office include being a stable genius. And second, a federal judge dismissed my lawsuit against the former president and others for, you know what? Let's not talk about me. You can read all about this and other shit I've been subjected to at the hands of Trump and Bill Barr and the whole fucking Justice Department in my book Revenge, how Donald Trump weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice against his critics. Anyway, my point is, nothing seems to touch this guy. Well, at least nothing yet. But I predict that this pseudo-run for a third term will be his Waterloo. Like Napoleon, Donald never knows when to quit. He can never just leave fucking well enough alone. By announcing as early as he did, he gave himself way too much rope. Just ask Harry Lake as his VP apparent. Shaking kaboom, the whole mess blows up in his fucking face, making it less of a run than a slow walking to a firing squad. There was no red wave, there was a red trickle. But that's what happens at my age, you get just a trickle. Republicans have brought this upon themselves. They've had a hundred off-ramps that they didn't take. 
Trump is a tired and true loser. He lost the 2016 popular vote by 3 million. Then he lost 2020's popular vote by 7 million. He lost the House in 2018, lost the Senate in 2020. The guy's a fucking loser. And he cost the GOP just about everything in 2022. The mega donors are out. Rupert Murdoch is out. Fox News even looks to be out. And now, with no Ivanka to guide him and Jared around just enough to make the Saudis happy, Donald will be left to his own devices. And we all know how that goes. Tick, tick, tick. We built the wall, the blood-soaked streets of our once great cities. These are savages. Rigged and corrupt system. Barack Hussein Obama. China played a very active role in the 2020 election. Fucking kaboom! Speaking of the Saudis, the same day Trump announced his run, the Trump Organization announced that it will license its name for a planned golf course in Oman. They'll be teaming up with one of Saudi Arabia's largest real estate companies. And the Trump family will get a cut of condo sales and the golf course revenue in exchange for allowing its name to be used. Of course, this renews questions about the former president's mixing of politics and business. But Jared has his $2 billion deal as a financial advisor to the Saudis, and now Trump has a $1.6 billion golf course in Oman. I mean, it's all very fucking cozy and not at all above board. But fuck it, it's just Trump being Trump. And once again, tick, tick, tick. Not only be the governor of Arizona for four years, I'm going to do two terms. I'm going to be your worst freaking nightmare for eight years. And we will reform the media as well. We're going to make you guys into journalists again. So get ready. It's going to be a fun eight years. I can't wait. Had on the heels of her loss to Katie Hobbs, wannabe Arizona governor Carrie Lake is weighing just how big to go. Does she burn down the house and pit old guard Republicans against election denier Magagas? Or does she concede her loss and move on? Her buddy Blake Masters actually called rival Mark Kelly to congratulate him on his Senate win. And even mega MAGA Adam Laxalt conceded in Nevada to Cortez Masto. So, my guess is that Lake is in the back room cutting some deals, and whether she puts or shuts up will depend on what Trump wants and what she'll get out of it. This story is developing, but remember what I said about Lake becoming Trump's running mate. It's hard to think about it, I know, but a Trump-Lake ticket is like an accident waiting to happen. And I, for one, am here for it. So let me say it again. Tick, tick. Do you love this guy or what? I know for a fact President Trump loves Arizona, but President Trump, I think Arizona loves you even more. I really do. Fucking kaboom! And perhaps you recall a story we reported on out of New Mexico. In September, Coy Griffin, an Otero County Commissioner and founder of the Cowboys for Trump, was disqualified from holding public office because of his participation in the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. And Section 3 of the 14th Amendment bars anyone from holding office who engaged in insurrection against the United States. 
This isn't some obscure provision. A judge in New Mexico just used it against Trump's special cowboy. So shouldn't it apply to Trump too? Make that case stick, and that's the ball game, folks. Fixed everything and had the economy in America going great, and the world was on a, the target of success. And what did Biden do in his administration? Let's reverse everything that Trump did, and now everything's gone down the hill. Look, two years of Trump pretending to run for the presidency means a barrage of bullshit for President Biden. But the New York Times reported Wednesday that the West Wing is ready for the attacks. A small group of presidential advisors have been working on a plan to respond to what they expect will be a constant stream of invective from Trump. Biden will continue to focus on Trump being a threat to democracy, but also massage that Trump is a fucking loser who got absolutely nothing done while president. On Tuesday, just hours before Trump's announcement, Biden posted a video on Twitter mocking Donald's claim that he was doing something about the nation's crumbling infrastructure. We'll talk about infrastructure. Pass a $1 trillion infrastructure plan. Who's better at infrastructure than Trump? We're going to rebuild the crumbling infrastructure. I want to rebuild our infrastructure first. Infrastructure. 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 The video, titled The Difference Between Talking and Delivering, showed Biden signing his $1 trillion infrastructure deal into law, juxtaposed with a compilation of clips of the former president using the word infrastructure. It's fucking funny, but it's true, and that's what the Biden team has on its side. Truth and humor. A couple of things that Donald J. Trump knows nothing about can't buy, and will never learn. Why? Because simply put, Donald's is just a fucking loser. And he is going to show up, I promise you. I will bet every money, bit of money I have, he will show up on inauguration day on 2025, whether he's the winner or not. And then we'll see what happens. And now for the main event. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome back to the show, Brian Tyler Cohen, progressive commentator and the host and creator of the popular podcast, No Lie, which he covers breaking political stories and sits down with major players in the world of politics, promising to bring you the news straight with no disinformation and no lies. His guests have included Vice President Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, and White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain. Cohen is amongst the most watched commentators in the country and can be found on all the major platforms, including YouTube, where he has a million and a half followers, on Instagram and Twitter. Brian, once an actor and writer, left it behind to doggedly criticize Fox News, Donald Trump, and anyone on any side of the political spectrum spreading lies and disinformation. By the way, he's not related to me, but either way, let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Brian, I hear that since Katie Hobbs officially won in Arizona, thousands of bots are going absolutely fucking nuts on Twitter saying shit like, do not concede. So, Elon Musk, by the way, if you're listening, because I know you listen to the show, it's time to fix the platform. All right, and Brian, look, you've been an outspoken critic of Carrie Lake. 
How do you think that she's going to play this loss? Because as of this morning, she is yet to concede. Yeah, I think she's going to play it in exactly the same way that she ran her campaign, which is on denying the election results. But here's what I think is the most important thing to remember about all of this. Like Josh Shapiro says out in Pennsylvania, it doesn't matter if Carrie Lake decides to concede or not. She doesn't choose the winner unilaterally. The voters chose the winner. They did choose the winner. It's not her. That's it. I mean, like the media it will probably make a meal out of this, just like they always do, just like they've done since the Trump days. But who fucking cares? Who cares if Carrie Lake doesn't concede? She she lost. That's it. Like what she says now is completely irrelevant. She can throw this temper tantrum. She can, you know, uh, traffic in her delusions as long as she wants to. That's her prerogative. But the rest of the country is going to move on and uh, and live in this reality that we've that 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 is objective reality. And again, it doesn't matter what Carrie Lake does or doesn't decide to do. So it actually does matter. Right. It matters because that's the process. You may remember when I spoke before the House Oversight Committee and I stated that Donald Trump would never transfer power if he lost. There is a certain process that we have all become accustomed to, which is when you lose an election, you do the dignified thing for the for the future, for the for the institution itself I, I agree with that. and for the peaceful transfer of power. You see, if she does what Donald is going to do, and again, she's become like the darling of the far right, and I don't think we've seen the end of her either. At some point in time, there might be maggots that are big Carrie Lake supporters that can do the same crazy shit, right? That, um, you know, Trump did with the January 6th insurrection. I, I agree with that. I, I agree that, that, there is a pro, that, that there is something to be said for these people who do follow the process as it should be followed. Let me, let me say this. The voters clearly came out and delivered the clearest message that you could possibly deliver against all of these high-profile election deniers running in every single battleground state. There wasn't a single election denier in a battleground state running for governor or secretary of state who won their race. And so if Carrie Lake, let me just say this from a political perspective, uh, if Carrie Lake wants to traffic in this shit, then she does it uh, knowing full well, and, and whoever comes after her, they do it knowing full well that the voters reject and repudiate exactly this kind of behavior. So she does this at her own risk. If she wants to traffic in election denialism, uh, then then she does it knowing that there's no audience for it. I mean, there's a minority of people, but there is still a majority of people who believe in democracy. Uh, we have this coalition made up of Democrats, independents, and Republicans who basically delivered as clear a repudiation as you could possibly get, that if you're going to do the election denialism thing, you're going to be rejected by the voters at the ballot box. Yeah, and look, I totally agree with you. However, let me just, again, press on here. One of the things that is being floated around out there is that she may be a potential candidate as vice president, if in fact Donald Trump does announce that he's going to run in 2024. I mean, they've been floating that, you know, as his potential running mate. This is very dangerous because not only do you have an election denier, um, but you have the denier in chief at, the, you know, running for the helm of this country. I'm not really sure that 
I'm comfortable with this craziness. And yes, she lost in the state I, of Arizona. I get that. And that's good. And you're right. It is a complete repudiation of this. Not, it's not just about the election denial. It's also about the fact that somebody like Carrie Lake didn't even have the human emotion to make a statement about Paul Pelosi after he was attacked with a hammer. She couldn't bring it to herself to turn around to say that this is wrong, like the way that the Democrats did for Steve Scalise and others who were attacked. It's wrong, but she can't even say that, which my big fear is that people like her will just continue to cause more divisiveness in this country. And and they are. And they will until the moment that the party more broadly recognizes. And I think I think that they're recognizing it now, but they will continue to follow that incentive structure until the moment that they realize that it's not electorally viable for them. And again, like we're now a f- several elections in where Republicans are constantly uh, losing their seats. I mean, they've been losing state legislatures. They've been uh, they've They've been losing seats in the Senate. Uh, they just barely caught, clung on to uh, a majority in the House. But, but more broadly, what we've seen over the last few years since Trump's election is that uh, that while this might have worked momentarily in appealing just to the farthest fringes of that base, just to the most to the to the basest forms of of our political system. It's, it's not working anymore. And so, yes, we will have the Carrie Lakes of the world, but I can guarantee you that in 2024, uh, we're going to have fewer of those people because these people want power and they're not getting power if they keep running election deniers and people like Carrie Lake and people like Tudor Dixon and people like, you know, uh, uh, Tim Michaels and, and just all of these, all of these people who weren't able to uh, reach any type of critical mass and they want to get elected. This isn't this isn't about anything other than taking power. And if they're not able to take power with the candidates that they're, that they're running, then they're going to change course. There's no incentive for them to continue to run these people if they're going to continue losing. And so, yeah, we'll we'll have these carry lakes. We'll have these shitty fucking people. Um, that I don't doubt at all. But I think the message that we're sending, uh, like I said before, is that there are enough of us, not just on the left, but just a pro-democracy bunch who are going to show up to to make sure that these people don't take power. Yes, except, again, that somehow, somehow the media and the base of his supporters, I'm talking about Trump, are still reporting that he is the kingmaker, that he is the you know leader of the Republican Party. Now, I know that there are plenty of Republicans out there that do not acknowledge this, that repudiate the idea that Republicanism is Trumpism uh, and that Trumpism has now taken over the entire Republican Party. I think that they are as interested in getting rid of him, right, as Democrats are interested in not seeing Trump involved for this 2024 election. Some people might be. Look, if if Trump runs, if uh, if if Trump Trump is going to try to run, and and by the way, he'll likely be the favorite until somebody acts. You know, I know I know that we're all writing our postmortems for Trump and saying that Ron DeSantis is the heir apparent, but until somebody actually comes out and and takes a swing at Trump, nobody's going to take him down, right? Like, it's not us in the media or on the left, especially, who are going to decide that Trump is is uh, is done. It's going to be either Ron DeSantis or anybody else on the right who's actually or the voters or the voters and, right. and and that's the thing like you know Trump Trump will run he he will run but uh nah you don't think I so I still I still don't buy it no I, I I think tonight 
I think what will what he'll do, and I listen. I could be wrong. I hate to prognosticate, especially because by the time this thing airs, it'll already have happened. So I'll be wrong or I'll be right. But I think he makes an announcement that they're opening up an exploratory committee. I cannot see him, and I again, it's just my opinion. I can't understand why in the world would he make the announcement today. First of all, it's two years plus out from the from the election, and it's like eighteen months or so from at least the beginning of an early campaign start. If he thinks that that's going to push other people out of the way, we already know Mike Pompeo has said he's going to run. You already know that Chris Christie will probably run again uh, just because he can. He, you already know that, uh, that what you would call it, um, you have Ted Cruz said that he's going to run. Liz Cheney said she's going to run. Uh, I mean, there's so many people out there already... Ron DeSantis will probably run. He's certainly not just going to walk away. So what's the point for him to turn around and to think that he's going to own the party? I don't see it. It also hurts him with his super PAC because he can't raise money for the super PAC any longer. I think it's probably twofold. I think he does. I don't think he cares about uh, Chris Christie and Liz Cheney running. I don't think those are his priorities. I think his priority is making sure to get out ahead of Ron DeSantis and try to consolidate support before Ron DeSantis comes out. That's clearly the only person that he has any concern about. The second thing is I think that he's under uh, this notion, this mistaken notion, I should add, but a notion that if he's able to declare his candidacy, that he'll officially be uh, you know, the, the, the Republican nominee and a, ma- a major enough political figure that any investigations will try, he'll try to um, he'll try to undermine their legitimacy by virtue of saying that the DOJ is just going going uh, going about their investigation to attack me because they don't want the Republicans to win in 2024. Um, even though even though he he's saying that anyway, so it doesn't matter whether he announces his candidacy or not. But yeah. I think it's just one more excuse for him to yep. to to try to manipulate his base into thinking that that's the truth. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. I, I think he thinks that there, he gets a stay in all of these cases, uh, which, of course, I know some of the lawyers that are around him, and some of them are for the, you know, relatively decent lawyers. Some of them, you know, are just complete batshit dumb, yeah. but, you know, uh, it doesn't make a difference. At the end of the day, he knows the truth is that that doesn't help him. So let me ask you this then. Were you surprised that so many election deniers were not elected in the midterms and that the stop the steal MAGA Republicans were in general not popular with voters? Because my question was really, what happens to those MAGA folks now? Do they just fade away? They just fucking disappear into the night? Do they rebrand themselves? Where, where did the MAGA movement go from here? Yeah, so to answer the first part of your question, to be perfectly honest, yeah, yeah, I was surprised that they all lost. I mean, my my biggest worry and the reason that I was filled with so much dread going into this midterm cycle, like wore all this dread on a daily basis is because I knew that if Republicans had won this election, knowing full well that they predicated their entire campaign on election denialism, that that would have validated their strategy and that that's all we'd see moving forward. It would it would basically spell the end of democracy. If these people ran on denying the legitimacy of democratic elections and won on that platform, my god, could you imagine what 2024 would look like? Not just uh, not just in terms of more candidates running, but those very people refusing to certify any wins that weren't for Republicans. It it like I don't know how to say this that doesn't sound hysterical, but it would have signaled the end of democracy in my opinion. Um so y- yes, I was definitely surprised that that was the result. At the same time, 
it's heartening to know that, you know, in some of these races, 10, 15, 20% of Republicans switched over and joined a majority of Democrats and a majority of even independents uh, in voting for these Democrats and rejecting these election deniers. So, uh, you know, I, I think, I think that, I think that no matter what, I think Americans recognize that no matter where you stand politically, everything is predicated on a foundation of democracy actually working. So if you care about any issue, whether it's climate change, whether it's low taxes on the right or the left, whatever the issue, it all relies on being able to have a voice in what we're doing. And if you ele if you elect people who don't believe in democracy at its core, then all that goes out the window. Um, so that, that I think, was just the, the main story of, of this election. As for where the MAGA people go now, I don't think that you can fake this stuff. So I don't see a viable path for them to get elected moving forward. I don't see how Carrie Lake, after being such a crazed fucking MAGA lunatic, can like rebrand herself a moderate. People, people will be able to see through that. People see through their phoniness regardless. I mean, you have someone like Dr. Oz, who people see as such a phony, such a fake. Um, and, and he was rejected at the ballot box. And so then when you have all of these MAGA people who predicated their entire campaigns on showing just how, how loyal and, and, and how much, how much fealty they can, they can show to Donald Trump, they're not going to be able to turn around and say like, oh, well, you know, what we should run our campaigns on, uh, uh, fiscal responsibility now. It's just it, like people aren't going to buy it. This is, this is who they are. This is who they've made themselves out to be. I don't think that there's a path back. I think that they'll try and they're going to hope that, you know, if there's a Trump run in 2024, that they can ride his coattails into, uh, into a victory in some of these swing states, battleground states. But for the most part, I think that people have spoken. I think the Republican Party, if they, they know in the, in the in the elite ranks of their party that if they want to win, that they have to do everything they can and put all of their money behind people who are more sensible, more moderate, because those people want power. Let's not forget what this is all about at the end of the day. They, they don't give a shit whether it's Trump they don't give a shit whether it's uh, the, the most moderate Republican in the world. They just want power. And so whatever their means to get that power is going to be is what they're going to try to do. You know, mm -hmm. they made a devil's bargain with Trump. I, I believe that they made a devil's bargain with Trump a few years ago because they said, okay, look, if he's what gets the base riled up, if he's what's going to bring us to victory, then, then sure, we'll, we'll suck it up. Right, and raise and raise a ton and a half of money. Raise a ton of money. You know, which somehow he's managed, he's managed to raise a ton and a half of money from people who are legitimately the lowest income earners in this country. And I just find that to be so telling. I mean, it really is unbelievable. You know, I see like uh, David Pakman, I watch, uh, you know, sometimes his uh, Instagram videos and so on. And when he's interviewing some of these people, you really have to wonder where do they get the money for all the paraphernalia, the hats? They're 50 bucks, the shirts, $40, the, you know, these gigantic flags, $150. I mean, being a MAGA supporter is not cheap. It's expensive. You know, yes. today, it sure is. This fucking guy knows how to fleece anyone, including the poorest Americans, so that he could pay for his 757 to be overhauled. Yeah. I can tell you, it's, it is not cheap. Just look at it. You take a look at the, the prices that they charge on these things. What bothers me the most, though, about all of these folks is that they don't have disposable income. And yet they're just parting with it. And they're parting with it. I hope it's under the notion that, that they know that Donald 
gets to keep 90% of every dollar that they donated yep. from his, to his super PAC. You know, I got this, um, I, I, every day I get dozens and dozens of text messages from Don Jr., from Herschel Walker, from, you know, from Carrie Lake, from every, every one of these magas, uh, from Eric Trump, from this one, from that one. And it's funny, I've never seen this before because I've seen these donation forms I don't know, 30 years. Yeah. I've never seen one that starts out at $3,250. <laughs> and that the lowest amount of money that you can give is like $400. Yeah. And again, I go back to like, you know, Pacman's things, and I look to see $3,250. That's like two months worth of these people's rent. I mean, it's really crazy. And Michael, that's that's like a recurring theme here, right? Because if you look at the biggest legislative achievement of the Trump era, it was a tax cut for millionaires and billionaires that that those same people who are on the lower ranks of of uh, the economic ladder are cheering on because they got some crumbs from that. I mean, that that's what the Republican Party really is at the end of the day. It's it's a party of that 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 kowtows to the ultra-rich, to millionaires and billionaires, and has the people at the lowest rungs of the economic ladder doing the heavy lifting for them so that they can and, then and deliver for those it, sure. Pay for all that yep. shit, yep. exactly. Yeah, it's totally crazy. So look, same for Trump. His endorsed candidates were generally not elected, and many, the truth is, many weren't qualified anyway. I think, if I'm not mistaken, there was like maybe one uh, candidate that Trump had endorsed that that one i was i got to think of the name it but in, today in indiana was the only uh, was the it, only election that's uh, correct but it wasn't even a battlegrounds i mean it's it's deep red indiana that's right absolutely now today as we were talking about he's supposed to announce this presidential run for 2024 and okay, like i said before we'll see we'll see what he does but how does trump come out of this and expect to run again for president and cuz if he runs I'm not sure that he even wins the primary. I believe that he's going to have significant opposition. I think the midterm results show that his popularity has waned significantly since he held office and even post January 6th. What's your position? You know what's, what's so funny about all of this? Is that the way that Trump and, and nothing, <laughs> Brian? Nothing. The, the way that the way that Trump works, and you'll know this better than everyone, is that everything he does is completely transactional. And yet now, because yes. he's lost his utility in that party by virtue of basically being an albatross around Republicans' necks in this midterm cycle, all of his candidates that were running in, in close races lost. Um, he's lost. He's lost all of his utility. Now people are dropping this end of the transactional deal. Like they don't have any need for him. And I don't think he's able to stomach that. But the irony of that is that that's how he's run all of his dealings for his entire life. I mean, you'd be able to speak to that better than anybody on the planet would. But it really is funny how for the first time ever, it's, it's come back to bite him. Basically, exactly what he does to every other candidate is now coming back to bite him. Well, look, that's the problem with Donald. And you, you nailed it. It's all transactional. There is no thought. If you ask him a question, and even if he doesn't know the answer, which is most questions, he has a knee-jerk reaction, a guttural instinct on what he thinks. And generally, the way that his gut works is because it benefits him. So not every 
issue has to benefit you, but that's not the way that he sees it. If there's a topic, if there's an issue, he's always looking to see how I can get the most out of that. And that becomes the problem. And I agree with you wholeheartedly, Brian. I believe that he shot himself in the foot with doing the things that he did. And again, you know, we'll see based upon what the results of the favorability uh, polls that are now all coming out about Donald, because my understanding from reading some of the earlier ones and even one as um, as close as uh, about six hours ago, it shows that for the most part, he's unfavorable, like more than 50 some odd percent of that poll find him very to extremely unfavorable. That's not the way that you win an election. He may, maybe he ends up uh, becoming the nominee. Maybe. I still don't think so. Maybe. But he knows statistically that he cannot be the, the winner of 2024. And I don't know why then he would want to become that two-time loser, which is a word that absolutely sends shivers down his spine. Well, I think, I think what his argument would be is that the media writing him off now is exactly what they did in 2016. And so, and so that kind of thing is just going to fuel him and he can try to revert back to the, to the old Trump that propelled him to victory in 2016. And so I think he kind of relies on that, on that underdogness, even though, I mean, it's, it's completely bogus because the guy is a, a billionaire to claim that he's like an underdog when, he, when he's like a predatory billionaire, basically uh, uh, screwing over everybody else is, is just the ultimate irony of all of this. But, you know, I, I don't think that people writing him off is going to do anything other than other than convince him more to run. But I mean, you know, you'd you'd be you'd be a better person to ask yeah. than anybody else. You know, look, if people are are writing him off, it's our, the postmortems are already happening. We even have longtime Trump allies on Fox News within the Republican caucus who are basically saying outright that yep. the future of the party is DeSantis. What do you think that that does to Donald Trump? Do you think that deters him or do you think that just makes him redouble his efforts so that he can he can prove all those people wrong? Right. And, and, the pu- and then punish though, them, by the way. Right. And the, the difference, though, is that in 2016, Donald was an unknown. It was OK for him to say, hey, look, quite frankly, I'm not a politician. <laughs> I'm just a billionaire businessman, real estate guy, right? And that was appealing to a certain number of people who voted, you know, who voted for him. That he doesn't have anymore because you're not a billionaire businessman, real estate guy. In fact, a lot of the shit about you has now come to full light and everybody knows what a fucking phony and a fraud, con man, racist, sexist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semite that you are. You lost a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people. So, you know, does he push ahead? Does he think that he's now going to be able to pretend that he is the unknown in his four years in the administration as the president of the United <laughs> States, he accomplished basically nothing. Yeah. I mean, other than a couple of, uh, you know, um, policies that he just shoved right down through executive privilege. He went ahead and he shoved them through. There was no significant bills or legislation passed under his presidency. If you really put things into perspective as a president, 
He was a complete failure, possibly possibly the worst in American history. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and his record, the numbers don't lie on that. I mean, he's, he, he's lost more jobs than any other president in modern American history. The, you know, uh, uh, the unemployment rate doubled in terms of, you know, was doubled in terms of uh, uh, the unemployed and, and uh, you know, the list goes on. Um, not to mention how the extent to which he, he bungled the COVID response and the U.S. basically led the world in COVID infections and deaths. But uh, regardless of all that, you know, to, to answer your question, no, I, I don't think I don't think that has any impact on him. I, I don't think that he does anything other than charges forward and continues to try to run. It'll be increasingly difficult because um, it'll be increasingly difficult because uh, it'll be increasingly difficult because he's going up against Biden, who does have a, a, an above average record in terms of what he's accomplished, yeah, yeah, in but, terms of what the Democrats yeah, have yes, accomplished. I, I, yes, that's true. But um, that's that's not a second race, a round two, so to speak, that I really feel very comfortable about. And I know a lot of people, you know, they send me text messages and they put it up on Twitter, stop talking about Biden not being favorable. Well, with all due respect to them, look at look at the numbers that are there. I don't understand it. I think the man is doing a pretty decent job. Yeah. As he's passing, you know, regulations, he's doing a lot of things that benefit this country, but yet he doesn't seem to be able to get past you know, this unfavorable. And I, again, I don't understand it. I'm merely speaking on polls that I read and I see and um, newspaper articles and comments that are made not by Republicans, not by MAGA assholes, not even by centrists. I'm talking about by Democrats. Yeah. That his unfavorability is mostly because of his age. Yeah. And this nonsense that was put out about him being having dementia, right, right. not being able that he's a puppet for, you know, the for Kamala or whoever else that they claim that he's a puppet for, it's predicated on nothing. I, I but think that, yet I think people that, keep saying the same thing. Two two things here. I think one, Democrats just at this point, what they have to do is just work on getting shit done because People are going to see that when they at, at the end of the day, really, when you look at what these elections are about is is what is each side going to offer you as an American? And for so long now, Republicans have been offering nothing more than migrant caravans and fear mongering about, you know, fentanyl in your kids, Halloween candy and litter boxes and school bathrooms. And like, I get that that works in terms of just appealing to the base, just like fear porn for the base. Um, but at the end of the day, you don't really get anything from that. There's no material benefit being offered by the Republican Party compared with the Democratic Party where, you know, you've gotten uh, the government to negotiate lower drug prices and healthcare costs capped at 2000 bucks a year and insulin capped at $35 a month. Unemployment is unemployment is at its all-time low and then he was uh, active with COVID and so there is he's a, trying to rebuild all of the uh, damaged roads um, and relations that we have around the world. Right, and we got so roads on. and bridges, EV charging stations across the country. I mean, there is a material benefit that Republicans, are, that Democrats are offering. And I think for the first time, uh, you know, Americans kind of saw through uh, the culture war bullshit that works on Fox News. But you look at how Gen Z, uh, who doesn't just sit and watch Fox News all day like drones, you look at how Gen Z voted. It was like 70 to 30 for Democrats. And so, you know, I, I think that what might have worked 
in in the past for Republicans just leaning heavily on culture war isn't going to work anymore. People actually want something. You know, you can expect some benefit from a government that actually works. Um, and they're seeing that right now by virtue of what the Democrats are delivering. So regardless of whether it's Joe Biden or not in 2024, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't care to guess. And I don't really care who it is because I'm because it's not a person cult of personality on the left. I just care about policy. But I think that if Democrats can show that, OK, from Joe Biden all the way down to your member of Congress, what we got done over the last few years with the slimmest of majorities is, you know, is that we've taken steps to make your life uh, materially better. Um, and so if they can do that up until the point in 2024, when there is the next election, they'll have a major selling point, again, regardless who's at the top of the ticket. It doesn't it doesn't really matter. I don't care if it's Joe Biden. I don't care if it's Buttigieg or, or whoever the party pick. Whoever the party picks is who they pick. And and I think that's, you know, let the process play out. Um, but, you know, and then on the hey, flip Brian, side, Brian, could you imagine, hey, Brian, could you imagine if the Democrats had the ability to message the way the Republicans did, especially in light of all the accomplishments um, so far in the two years that Biden has been the president? Could you imagine? I mean, this is something I talk about and I'm very critical of Jamie Harrison. I hope that when he's listening, he doesn't take offense to it. I do it when I'm on television as well. I do it. Maybe just to wake them up, you know, to say, hey, Jim, let me explain something to you. Democrats didn't win these midterms because our messaging is good. We won the midterms for the most part. And I do believe it was more of a blue wave than a red wave. But we did because the Republicans are fucking stupid. Yeah. Because they put out this decision on um, the Dobbs decision with Roe v. Wade that they've done so many different things that are so bad for the country that people, including the loss of democracy, the big, the big lies, the election lies, and so on, that they went so radical to the right that even Republicans who would normally have voted for these Republican uh, candidates in the midterms said, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Democracy is at stake. Well, you know, we're, we're at an inherent disadvantage because, and, and I just spoke about this on, on my show uh, with with John Favreau from Pot Save America, but we're, we're at an inherent disadvantage on the left because we don't have the built-in propaganda machine that the right does. I mean, you look at Fox News, Newsmax, OAN, those are not, those are not media outlets in the sense that, that they're actual news. Those are propaganda outlets for the right. And so they are unapologetically Republican. I don't know. I don't know if I would say, I don't know if I would say that about Fox News. Fox News is real. Fox, you know, News Corp is a real company. Not only do they have newspapers, they have television stations, not just here nationally, but internationally. And so Rupert Murdoch is a real force. And another reason why I believe that Trump realizes that he's in trouble. He no longer has Rupert Murdoch and his kids, Lachlan and James, sitting there looking to promote him. They're not doing that. And I think based upon the front page where they talked about DeSantis as being the heir apparent, um, I think Trump realizes who does he have? Newsmax, OAN, right. National Enquirer? I, I, don't, I this time. They may not be in the bag for Donald Trump, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't claim that Fox News is 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 not a, a propaganda outlet for the right. I think they exist to make sure that Republicans take power in a different way, in an asymmetrical way than than so-called liberal media, mainstream media, ABC, NBC. Those people don't exist to make sure that Democrats take power. In fact, if in fact there's nothing that they like less than being called the liberal media, and so. It, 
even mm-hmm. even the threat of them being called the liberal media will make them run so far to the right and adopt Republican talking points, adopt this mistaken notion that there was going to be a red wave just because a bunch of Republicans were claiming there was going to be a red wave, adopt these claims like uh, like Hillary's emails was the biggest national security threat in the history of this country. These are all done to insulate themselves from the accusation that they, that they are the liberal media. That's how much they don't want to be on this team. Meanwhile, you have the Fox News's who are basically giving in-kind donations to Republicans by putting them on TV every single night. So there is that asymmetry that we don't have on the left, and and I think that it benefits Republicans to a degree that that we haven't seen before. true. Right. I mean, I've never seen anybody at ABC, NBC, even MSNBC or CNN turn around and say, we're not journalists, we're talk hosts, right. you know, we're talk show hosts. How many times I mean, have you I've seen, seen any people happen walk before. into a campaign rally and go up to the podium like we saw in this uh, in this right. previous election cycle with Donald <laughs> Trump? That is bananas. Could you imagine? I mean, and rightfully so, but could you imagine what uh, Fox News would say if like Anderson Cooper was at a campaign rally with Joe Biden and took the mic? It would be it would be insane. And, and it should be insane. And it's exactly what's happening on the right with the Sean Hannity's of the world. So let me go back and ask you this, because everyone's saying that DeSantis is the heir apparent in the GOP's corner. But I don't think that he'll find much support outside of Florida and perhaps the South. But maybe I'm just wrong. I, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know enough about him. Now, Abbott pulled off another win in Texas. I mean, is there an appetite for cruel leadership in red states? I mean, will their desire to own the libs only get worse now that we've won in so many unexpected places? I think, unfortunately, yeah, I think that's what the Republican Party is predicated on. I think it's just cruelty. It's showing how much of a bully, how much of a... uh, a strong man you can look like, even though our definitions of strong men are, are are vastly different. I don't think it makes you strong if you can be a huge dick. But um, but I think that that's what the Republican Party has become. Those are the qualities that the base sees in in their leaders that that makes them like whatever they want to see in terms of strength. So yeah, I, I do think it's going to continue to be for the people that are maintaining power in these Republican strongholds like Texas, like Florida. I think you're going to see a continued sprint to the far right, and you're going to see them. Continue continue to use immigrants as political stunts and pawns. I think you're going to continue to see these abortion bans uh, move farther to the right because they were never really responsive to the will of Americans. They were just trying to, you know, enact their their own uh, uh, religious theology onto onto other people. They don't care what Americans more broadly think. And so, so yeah, unfortunately, I, I do think that as long as Republicans do stay in power, um, they are going to continue to to be as cruel as they can. I think that's the incentive structure on the right. I think they're going to continue to just try to keep up with Trump, who's going to continue to be as cruel as he can. And uh, so long as there is someone like Donald Trump who has power in that party, and he does, uh, that's what we're going to continue to see. You know, but one thing that Trump did that will come back to bite him in that fat ass of his, he has shown other politicians that being nasty for that party for the Republican Party, works. Now, I promise you, there's not one person in Washington who doesn't have a nasty bone in them. And the fact that Trump was able to get away with it only because it was so unusual. When was the last time that you ever saw a politician get up onto a podium in front of an entire crowd of people, knowing that all the cameras are on him for the whole world to see? And start swearing that this guy's a piece of shit, he's stupid, he's a moron. All of a sudden, it's like, you know, you have to worry 
that your young kids are sitting watching the news right. with you, watching a rally, because these rallies have become, you know, basically rated R, yeah. if not if not worse. This is this is something that I don't think somebody like Ron DeSantis, I don't even think this jerk off, and I can't stand him, Ted Cruz, right? I think if what Trump said about his wife today was said, knowing the way that we can now get past uh, the media beeps and so on, I think he would have said something far more nasty. Yeah. And on, on our side of the aisle, listen, I would, I would love to see somebody like, um, uh, let's say, oh God, uh, Jamie uh, Raskin run. I would love to see Gavin Newsom run. I would love to see Donald Trump Pull that bullshit with someone like an Eric Swalwell or, you know, I mean, this, I, I could just think 20 people. I would love to see him pull that nonsense. And then I would love to see him try to do it, you know, to, to a female. That would be even, that would be even greater, you know, for, for me to see. Um, I would love to see him try to pull that with Liz Cheney, you know, rest assured, he will get bitch slapped so hard, like he's never, and he's, He'll tell you he is the thickest skin on the planet. He does not. Right. He actually is thin-skinned. So somebody like Liz Cheney, could you imagine if hypothetically he tried to pull that shit with her? He has no idea what would come out of her mouth. And she would beat him so badly, she'd make him look as stupid as he is. I think, I think while that might have worked for the exact reasons that you laid out in 2016, because it was all brand new and it was exciting and it was the, the, the fresh new thing that nobody had seen anybody ever do before, I think that that... I think that that is all just tired now, basically. Everybody's adapted to it. And you can try to ramp it up. He can, he can curse more. He can you know, try to bring it to the next level. But I think by now... If I'm speaking from my own experience and what I think the sense is more broadly is that people are just exhausted of exactly that. And so while it was while it was fresh and exciting, it's it's like season 1 of a show and now we're in season, you know, season 6 of the same show and the same shit that worked in season 1 that got you watching in the first place, it's tired now. And you can either adapt or die. And so I think he can try to ramp it up, but he doesn't seem to be able to. He seems stuck on the uh, on the 2020 election. He seems stuck on his greatest hits. He doesn't seem to be able to adapt. And so while it was new in 2016, it probably wasn't even too new for him. He pretty much, I mean, you would know this better than anybody, but- you It's know, exactly the way he always was. So, so yeah, nothing, was, nothing changed. It was new for us. It was exciting for us, but that was, that was Trump. That was- all of Trump. And I don't think he's going to be able to do what he needs to do in terms of like, in terms of getting to a Trump 2.0. I think he only has one channel and, and we just saw it. And now people are just tired of it. Totally agreed. I call that Trump fatigue. So let me ask you this then, Brian. Do you think based on the tight margins in the House that Democrats, that Joe Biden will be able to get maybe more bipartisan bills passed this term? Or we just see Republicans obstructing and holding up important things like, for example, the um, the debt ceiling? I think if we wanted any hope of any meaningful legislation passing, we needed what happened in midterms to happen. So because that happened, because there was such a repudiation of extremist Republican politics, I think that our best hope now for Republicans to play ball is going to be the fact that they lost so many races. So yes, they are going to hold the House. And so I think 
if they want to do the whole bullshit Hunter Biden investigations, impeach Donald Trump, uh, holding probes into litter boxes and school bathrooms, all that, all that, you know, red meat for the base, Fox News, Laura Ingram bullshit. That's their prerogative. They can. But then it's going to draw a really clear contrast in terms of what happens in 2024. What message, what, what message do you want to send to people? Do you want people, uh, do you want, do you want more of that? Do you want more of those investigations getting and getting nothing done? No results delivered to Americans? Or do you want what happened from 2020 to 2022, which is when Democrats were in control and you finally got all of these things that you wanted to happen were finally delivered from, you know, marijuana hopefully being rescheduled, uh, student loan debt being paid off, infrastructure week actually happening, gun legislation actually happening, the American Rescue Plan actually happening, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act actually happening. So, Republicans do this at their own risk. If they want to do the crazy thing, they can. They'll have a majority in the House, but then it'll pretty much just be a message to Americans uh, in terms of in terms of which side do you want. Mm -hmm. So I asked you that because, like I said before, I believe that abortion won this election cycle or it was a big part of it. Now, Biden had promised to codify Roe. But according to Axios, the GOP's narrow margin in the House will actually prevent that from happening. Yeah. Now, this is problematic, but it's clear that even a lot of Republicans are pro-abortion. So what's the path forward for abortion rights? What do you think will ultimately happen? I mean, look, I, I think at this point, you know, a Repu Democrats took a lot of states. And so hopefully we'll see protections enacted in the states. Uh, Democrats were clear, you know, the way to codify abortion in this country will be to get two more seats in the Senate and to hold on to the House. It's looking like we're going to get one more seat in the Senate, hopefully. Uh, we have 51-49 after the, the Georgia runoff, and we weren't able to hold on to the House. So I don't think anybody is going to be wondering why we're not able to codify abortion at the national level. But at the same time, you know, Republicans, Republicans do this at their own risk. Uh, there will continue to be elections in the future. And if they're not able to hold on to seats in Arizona and Nevada and Wisconsin and Michigan, uh, then then that's a problem for them. I mean, if, if they're just looking for the basically the Bible Belt states and some states in the Midwest uh, to retain power, that's that's one thing. I, don't, I can't imagine that's what they want to do. So Americans pretty much have shown uh, how potent this issue can be. If they want to continue blocking these abortion protections or enacting even stricter abortion bans across the country, you know, there will be more elections. So Democrats, I hope, will put forward legislation. I, d I don't imagine that it'll pass, but, uh, you know, they're drawing a clear contrast in the states where they did win in terms of being able to codify protections to abortion rights, like what's going to happen in Michigan and California. Yeah, but that's the state, I mean, wouldn't it be great if Joe Biden would just turn around and add more Supreme Court judges. Of course. Right. Of and course. then and then you turn around and then you, you you know, you then you just make Roe v. Wade. You, you make Roe into law anyway. So, look, on top of that, I mean, Republicans have really gone off the off the edge. I mean, they're they're really over the cliff on this one. Republicans had Victor Orban as a guest at CPAC which makes it clear that authoritarianism is very attractive to them. And to those people who don't know, Viktor uh, Orban is the Hungarian, um, he's the prime minister of Hungary. Um, 
I mean, at the end of the day, do you think that they're now rethinking that path? I mean, since it's obviously not popular with American voters? Yeah, of course. I think they'd be crazy not to reconsider this path of just outright authoritarianism. I think, like, again, if they're losing Democrats, independents, and even... 10 to 20% of their own party, that is a huge problem. It's completely untenable. It's completely unsustainable if they want to be a major force in the Republican Party. Josh Hawley came out uh, just before and said that the Republican Party as we know it is dead. Uh, The ultimate irony of that being, of course, the fact that part of what helped the Republican Party turn into this entity that is dead is someone like Josh Hawley. I mean, he was the one out there raising his fist in solidarity with, uh, with the insurrectionists on January 6th. If, if we're looking for somebody who helped push the GOP toward this insurrectionism, election denialism, Josh Hawley is, uh, is, is you know, character number one. Um, but with that said, yeah, I think they would be crazy not to rethink this. Whether they can is another story because now we know that that's what they truly believe. Uh, but, you know, I, I can't imagine that we're going to see uh, any more dictators being guests of honor at these events. <laughs> you know, like it would be nuts. And look... If, if if that's what they want to do, then again, that's their prerogative. But it, jo- it shows a really clear contrast for Americans that like this party can't stop advocating for authoritarians and dictators. And the other party is just trying to lower the cost of drugs. So like if that's the contrast they want to make, more power to them. Okay. <laughs> Look, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know why they would have him there. I mean, next, you know, next up, Kim Jong-un. You know, I mean, it, it makes absolutely no sense you know, to me at all. Here's why, but, here's why I think but, they did it. I think they did it because for so long, Republicans were able to act with seeming impunity. Like they were able to pass the most vile laws. And, and somehow there was a meme that was going around, which was, which was, I mean, it went super viral. It was like, from the perspective of a Canadian watching American elections. And it was basically, um, it was basically like, uh, this is what it's like watching elections in America. Puppies for everyone, 50.1%. Diarrhea forever, 49.9%. And that's basically what it's like because Republicans can like pass the most vile, horrific legislation on God's green earth. And they would still win in a bunch of states, still win in a bunch of seats, still win in the battlegrounds. And so for so long, we would see that. And it got to the point where it was like, they can do anything. And the country's so polarized that they'll just win. And so they were like, fuck it. Let's just, let's just, let's just do it all. Let's just ban abortion. Let's talk about eliminating Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Let's, let's advocate on behalf of the dictators of the world. Let's, let's say screw democracy in Ukraine. Let's allow COVID to be unleashed. Let's, let's deny, let's deny that, you know, gun, you know, gun legislation, you know, is needed. And after you have, you know, the shootings of children at schools, they turn around and they make, you know, they deny that it was even real. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And what I'm finding is that too many of these Republicans whether it's what they say or what they do in terms of action, there's no consequence. I mean, I always, I use the same, I use the same example, and I'm going to use it again. Matt Gates. You got Joel Greenberg out there showing, here's the check. You have his testimony. Hey, I hired these girls underage in order to bring them to another state or even to Bahamas, wherever the hell they went, right, for the purpose of engaging in sexual acts. That is engaging in the sexual act of a minor and interstate trans, you know, transporting of a minor for, for sexual activity. It is a crime. Yet, I don't know, what seems to be happening there? Yeah. Nothing. So I think, I think. What are we, what, two years? What are we, two years into that investigation? I think that they've, they just kind of got over their skis a little bit. 
and uh, or a lot, I should say. And uh, and they were just kind of hit with a hard dose of reality in this election to the point where people were like, oh, no, we're not cool with allowing you to just do the biggest rollback of rights in modern American history. And so uh, and so I think that, you know, they'd be crazy not to not to rethink their strategy here and retool and uh, and recognize that this is uh, this whole like authoritarian friendly thing. This ain't it. Yeah. And then I saw not, uh, not more than what was the day, uh, maybe two weeks ago. I saw I couldn't believe it on uh, on uh, NBC. Prosecutors recommended against charging GOP representative Matt Gates in sex trafficking probe. What? Yeah. Seriously? Can you can you imagine? I mean, you have the guy that he paid for it. You have the evidence, you have the testimony, and somehow or another, why? Because you're a politician that your rights are different than right. my rights or your rights, Brian? Anybody else's rights? Same with Donald. Let me go into another example. Let's talk about the Marilardo documents, the top secret documents that this fucker stole, that they knew that he had them because for over a year prior to the raid, they were asking for them back. They gave this asshole every fucking opportunity in the world to return them and to wash this thing under the, you know, under the rug. But he refused to do it. Why? Because Republicans don't believe that there are consequences to them. And instead, they want all the consequences to fall onto somebody else. Yeah. For example, like you mentioned it, let's go after Hunter Biden. Why are you people picking on Donald Trump, yeah. right? Forget the stolen documents. Forget about the fact that there are nuclear secrets in there. Forget about that. What about Hunter Biden's laptop? <laughs> what about Hillary Clinton's emails? Yeah. I mean, it's incredible to me. And I asked a friend of mine who's Republican, hey, genius, do me a big favor. Tell me. You want Hunter Biden's laptop? You want to prosecute him for it? Name one document that you have seen or that has been reported that Hunter Biden could be charged on. Now, if in fact that he did do something and if in fact there's documents in that laptop, okay, justice has to treat him the same it would treat the next guy. But Republicans, again, with no consequences, don't believe that this exists. So let me ask you this then. Where does Tucker Carlson go from here? Because his whole pitch to Americans for the last however God knows how many years has really leaned towards a fascist future. And even though he has the biggest platform in the country, his message just fell fucking flat with the voters. You imagine that Fox News is having some sort of a coming to Jesus moment, so to speak, you know, and regrouping on this. I think that Tucker is going to go wherever the wind blows. I think like so many people in the Republican Party, Tucker wants power. Tucker wants to seem important and relevant. And so the way that the GOP was turning uh, was toward fascism and, you know, toward these dictators of the world. And I think Tucker rode that wave. I think that he'll pivot right back to wherever the next thing is in the Republican Party, which will likely be some iteration of whatever Ron DeSantis is doing down in Florida. But, you know, I don't, I don't think that Tucker has any like steadfast principles. I don't think that he stands for anything. He doesn't have any values. The guy just wants to be, the guy just wants to be on TV, he just wants to be powerful, just like everybody else. And so while it looked like the authoritarianism uh, thing was going to be the future of the GOP. Now they've gotten that repudiation at the ballot box. We'll see what he pivots to next. But, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's like some rebuke of Tucker's like principles. Tucker doesn't have any principles. He's just like everybody else in the Republican Party who just wants to assume power and they'll, they'll ride whatever wave they think will get them there.
<laughs> Great. Now, I maintain that it was the youth vote that was truly instrumental in changing the tide of the election. And on this podcast, we've had over the last um, two months or so, maybe six or, or seven uh, young people, uh, Gen Zers, as we like to call them. And I think that thanks to them, our democracy right now, which is still hanging by a shoestring, it's just maybe it's not one, maybe now we have two shoestrings. But does it give you hope, Brian, for the future of the country that so many Gen Z voters showed up and then they voted, they volunteered, and they fought for their rights? And then more importantly, from a Democratic Party standpoint, how do we keep that coalition together for the presidential election in 2024 and beyond, especially, right, if the candidate is a geriatric? Yeah, that's a great question. Okay, so does it give me hope? More than anything in the world, the fact that these people showed up in the numbers that they showed up at the percentages and the rates that they showed up is, it, 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 it like I mentioned before, I mean, it, it's quite literally what very well may have saved democracy. Um, and I don't say that lightly. And I try to, I try to reserve those statements because I know how like hysterical they sound, but I, I truly in my heart of hearts believe that that's the truth. Um, now in terms of, in terms of how we keep those people in the coalition, I think that we continue to deliver for them. Uh, we, you saw that we were able to do that by eliminating student loan debt for 43 million borrowers. Um, now, Republicans, of course, are trying their hardest to oppose that, oppose that, and they're doing it in the courts. Um, but, but at, so long as Democrats are making these efforts and getting caught trying and doing everything they can to make sure that an entire generation of 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 kids isn't just bogged down in inescapable debt. That's important. I think that um, making sure that marijuana, which is an issue that like more than 70% of young people uh, believe should be legal, that that's an issue that we're on the right side of. I think that good government and making sure that there's, that there's no uh, that there's no PAC money or lobbyists or any of that shit. I think that th these are all important things. These are what Democrats are doing right now. And so I think that delivering for young people, delivering on climate, on guns, issues that plague that generation more than any other generation. As long as you continue to pass legislation and not just pander, uh, I think that, that they're smart enough to recognize um, that, that it'll actually give them something to vote for. Um, and so, and so, you know, that's the difference. It's, it's, it's what I mentioned before. I mean, Republicans basically garner support by virtue of fear mongering. And, and that's how they get their old base. They just scare these old people into thinking that immigrants are coming to replace them and sell drugs to their kids and rape their wives. That's what works for the Republican Party. They're, they're going to stick by that strategy until these people are in the ground. But for Democrats, they know that these kids are smart and they know that they're clued in. They know that they've got every bit of information in the universe at their fingertips. And so if they want some, if, if, if they support uh, combating climate change, then God damn it, we better pass funding so that we can combat climate change. If they want uh, no more fossil fuels, then end subsidies for fossil fuels. If they know that they're going to be buried under student debt, then eliminate and forgive student loan debt. If guns are a problem because this is an entire generation of people that's had to hide under their desks because they didn't know if they were going to get shot in a rampage at their school that day, then do your hardest to make sure that we pass gun safety legislation. That's what Democrats are doing right now, and that's what I hope they'll continue to do. And so long as they continue delivering like that, I think that we'll continue to, to, to maintain and grow the coalition that got us these wins in this midterm cycle. Yeah, except, as I said before, the DNC has such a pathetic, it's the only way to describe it, just a pathetic team of 
individuals that are doing messaging. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly, Brian, that the, the needs are being met by the Democratic Party for the Gen Zers and the younger generations. I get that. The problem is there's no messaging to it. I think like, like, if I was what, running, what, 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 if I was running this, why would you not put up a billboard? Why would you not put up commercials? Put it on TikTok, yeah. on Instagram. Put it where these kids get it, so that they know that we know what your needs are. We know what you want. We understand and we agree with you, and we agree with you so much. We're going to fund it. You know the problem is. You need to ensure that the, that the message is constantly hammered home yeah. to these individuals so that they know that we are in your fight, you are in our fight, and together we can make it happen. And I think, I think look, I think that's, it's, it's important for the White House, which they've done to their credit, to recognize young creators. They've had creator summits at the White House. I think it's important to show appreciation for these kids who are on TikTok, who are on Instagram, who are on Snapchat, reaching young people. I think that's what they've done. And, and it's, it's kind of a recognition of the fact that it's not, it can't just be the state parties and the DNC and the White House that's doing messaging because they're not going to be able to reach people. They got to reach people where they are. And so if these kids, these influencers have, uh, have, followings into the millions, then, uh, then, then focus on those kids where they are. Um, I think it's important what you do to reach, you know, disaffected Republicans and, and, and the rest of your audience. I think that I can reach a certain audience, but I think it's important for the Democrats more broadly to, to, to lean on independent creators and these non-traditional spaces and outlets, uh, so that we can find our audiences and, and deliver these messages from a source that they can actually trust. Yeah, and that's why, look, I went on to TikTok. I'm on there. I have like close to, what is it, like 250, 280,000 followers and that's right awesome. away. But yeah. I have like 600 plus thousand on Twitter. I take my message that way. And I was targeting the Gen Zers because they are our future. Yeah. And I say it all the time. And in fact, what we found is that the number of younger people listening to this Maya Culpa podcast has also increased, which is a good sign. And we speak to these Gen Z influencers all the time. But, you know, while we're coming close to the end, because the hour goes by quick, I have one last question for you. And it's kind of like, um, it'll be your prognostication yeah. on this. Who do you think is the most qualified and electable person to run for the presidency in 2024 on the Democratic side? But then just to be fair, who do you think that person would be on the Republican side? Ugh, brutal question. You know, I, I can't, I can't even begin to fathom who I would choose. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm a big, pro I'm going to, I'm going to be such a, I'm going to be such a drain here, but I'm a big proponent of just letting the primary process play out. I know that's not going to be, uh, I know that's not going to be the answer that you wanted to hear, but like, I have, I have no clue who it could be. I, I can tell you one thing is like, is like, we do have a good bench of young people in this party. We do have uh, people who are amazing communicators, which I think is important. You know, we have the Stacey Abrams out there. We have the Bettos out there who are great communicators. We have, uh, you know, Katie Porter. We have Jamie Raskin. We have uh, Elizabeth Warren. And we have younger people like Mallory McMorrow who are just in the, you know, mm -hmm. on our bench. So I don't know who it could be for 2024 on the Democratic side. I, I don't feel as nihilistic 
as everybody else does about who is, you know, who is the future of the Democratic Party. Look, if people wanted to be Joe Biden, then then I'm I'm perfectly fine uh, saying that, like, let's go. Let's go and let, let's have it be Joe Biden again, because we've, you know, had a majorly successful uh, last couple of years with his uh, with in, in the first uh, first part of his first term. Um, but we'll, we'll see how that plays out. As for Republicans, until I have any different information until somebody actually sacks up and and throws a punch. I got to say that it's going to be Donald Trump because, you know, we like I mentioned before, we in the media can write our postmortems on Trump. But until he's dead, he's not going to die. You know, we'll see what happens with this whole Ron DeSantis thing. It's easy to get swept up in whatever the thing of the moment is. And I think that the thing of the moment right now is uh, is people saying that Ron DeSantis is the future. But Trump has a lot of supporters out there. And, uh, and I don't know. A lot of people. A lot of people are saying it's Christy Nome. And maybe, but look, nobody's thrown a punch at Donald Trump. And until until somebody wrestles those supporters away from Trump, uh, I got to imagine that he's not going to give them up willingly. And these people, you know, they bought into the cult of personality. It's going to be hard to prime away. Yeah, but that number is um, waning every single day. Well, which from your um, from your ecstatic from your lips to God's ears. Yeah, and I'm ecstatic about it. But that was the name of uh, the young lady I could not uh, remember, Christy Nolan. Ah, yes. I would love to see, you know, I, I would love to see Donald in a primary debate, right, with, you know, with her, because that would not, that would not go well for him. And to be honest with you, like I said before, you know, I would like to see, I would like to see younger people in the, in the um, executive branch right now. I think we need uh, like a Zelensky as well. We need somebody. And again, I feel terrible saying it because I happen to like Joe Biden. I like him as my president and I like him as a person. So I don't I don't want this to come off seeming as if though I am anti-Biden. I am not yeah. at all. I think he is a wonderful person. He has empathy like I've never seen, yeah. certainly coming off of the Trump administration. I mean, if, if, Trump, is, if Trump is a zero, he's a hundred, yeah. right? I mean, you know, I would, I do, however, understand people, you know, saying that he's not really running the country and that, you know, cognitively he's not really there. I don't agree with it, but this is this is the conversation. And if the Democrats intend to win the House, sometimes you have to turn around like what I would if I was had any say in it, I would say to the president, it just may not be the right time. You had your time as president. You were vice president. You know, you were a senator. I mean, you've done your job in serving this country. And now maybe it's time to turn the reins over to somebody with a little bit more energy. Yeah, I guess we're going to we'll, we'll find out soon one way or the other. But, um, you know, in any case, I think that the party is pretty united in terms of knowing what it needs to do, regardless of who that nominee is. And that is just to continue like hammering away at what I hope are clearer and more concise and simpler messages and to continue passing legislation that's going to help regular people and then selling what they've done. Yeah. But, you know, on a final note, it just goes to show how we have changed even as a country, as a culture. In the olden days, you would never disrespect, right, your your elders, especially not somebody who is, you know, in their high 70s, you know, yeah. 80. 
you would never do that. But today, it's almost like that's the talking point. And whether yeah. it's true or not, it's just the conversation. And it's wrong. But Brian, let me thank you for joining me on Mea Culpa. Um, we'll have you back. We'll see what happens down in 2024 as things, you know, uh, materialize for both parties. And um, obviously, appreciate you. Stay safe, my friend. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate you having me on. Anytime. And now for today's Mea Culpa. In 2021, extremist Republicans were terrified of Democrats winning in the midterms, so they introduced more than 440 voter suppression bills in 49 states. These various laws were inspired by the big lie and the absurd notion that the 2020 election was somehow stolen from Trump. I mean, come on guys, yada yada yada, you all know the story. Anyway, these restrictive bills were put into place to disproportionately affect Democratic voters and voters of color. They hoped that the new rules and gerrymandered maps would tip the scales in their favor. And in some cases, they did. The chairman of the DCCC, Sean Patrick Maloney's New York House seat, was lost because of maps and I hate to say, but hubris. Instead of taking his own race seriously, the DCC chair snubbed grassroots support and went to Europe to court donors. I mean, what the hell are you doing, man? Here he was running the National Party's most important campaign arm, but he had arguably the worst individual performance of any politician in his home state. Not only did he lose his race, but congressional Democrats underperformed in New York more than in any other state in the country. But don't get me started on California, where arch-Republican harpy Michelle Steele defeated Democrat Jay Chen in Orange County. Aren't beach people supposed to be cool? Well, apparently not in Orange County. Our own Katie Porter only holds the narrowest of leads against Scott Boe. And there's nothing better than watching Katie Porter break it down for any greedy corporate douchebag who dares try and screw over the American people. Katie has our backs. I hope. I'm praying she makes it, but California at the time of this report is only 85% counted. The idea of Kevin McCarthy replacing Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House is like the difference between their two districts. Pelosi is from San Francisco, one of the greatest cities in the country, beautiful and historic. Bakersfield is the butthole of the universe, and it's no wonder that Kevin fucking McCarthy hails from such a place. There is no comparison between San Francisco and Bakersfield. These two cities couldn't be more different. And yet, here we are, on Bakersfield's doorstep, looking for a real restaurant, but only finding an olive garden. Nancy, no, you are the goat. And McCarthy, you're a fucking horse's ass. Also, I warned you folks out there in La La Land that there wasn't enough support for Christy Smith. And guess what? Anti-abortion Mike Garcia has just narrowly beaten her. Despite Smith being the superior Democratic candidate, a bright spot in Los Angeles, Karen Bass just became mayor, edging out billionaire developer Rick Caruso. But honestly, who would have thought the house would all come down to New York and California? The coastal elites, it seems, aren't so hip after all. 
However, it breaks down in the house. We should be glad that we got so close to winning and that the margins are now so slim. NBC projected late Wednesday that the House races 221 Republicans and 214 Democrats. With a margin of just two seats, so Republicans win. But in this unlikely midterm election cycle, we've already beaten the odds, and it's not half bad being an underdog when you are fighting for every district in every state. America is worth the fight, and thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my mayor.